Sometimes in life, skepticism can serve you well. It can save you money, keep you from wasting a day at a timeshare presentation, and help you avoid spreading gossip. To be honest, when I am faced with a new scenario, I usually tend to be a skeptic until something proves me wrong. And if you're like me, you can probably spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away and read labels like it's your job. That's where ritual comes in. They know that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. Their clinically backed Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin has high quality, traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. Take two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption and you'll get nine key nutrients. Rituals Essential for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. On top of that, Ritual multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I take my vitamins every morning with breakfast. It's part of my daily ritual and I feel so good doing it. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. Today, oh, I have a lot to share with you. Right now, I'm sitting at my office, Island Yoga, at our yoga studio here in Aruba. And I've, I've changed the ambiance a little bit. So it's super sunny here. We're on a tropical island. Everything is always bright. And I kind of close the windows and I cover the drapes and I lit some candles and I'm drinking chamomile tea. Last week when I recorded this podcast, I um, was drinking coffee, eating strop waffles. And I think I spent the first four minutes of the podcast talking about my love for strop waffles, which is this sugary Dutch treat that I adore. This week, I'm not even eating strop waffles. I'm not um, drinking coffee. And it's because I've realized since last week that I have a problem. <laughs> I have a sugar problem. It's it's big. Okay. I have a big sugar problem. Um, and it wasn't until just yesterday that I realized that it's actually becoming a problem. So today I am not eating strop waffles while podcasting, but I'm drinking chamomile tea. And I'm going to talk to you guys about my sweet tooth and a sugar detox that I've decided to start. But first, I thought we would take a moment just to really ground ourselves. I got a really beautiful suggestion from last week's podcast to start incorporating a little bit of meditation uh, in these weeks, since there's so many people listening now every week. Uh, we have this beautiful podcast community blossoming that I love. And as you're listening, just really tuning in with me in the moment. So taking a moment to, to find presence. So wherever you are right now, as you're listening to these words, see if you can take a moment to lengthen your spine a little bit. So if you're slouching or if you're rounding through the shoulders, can you lift your heart slightly? See if you can allow your shoulders to drop and then close your eyes and take a deep breath in through the nose and let it out through the mouth. 
And take this moment to fully arrive to where you're at right now. So bring some awareness into the body. See if you can feel your heart beating inside of your chest. Just become very present with your surroundings, with this moment. And start slowing your breath down. So you can keep the flow of the inhales and the exhales moving through the nose, but just slow it down a little bit. And then feel the sensations of the body in this moment. So if you're sitting down, really root your sit bones down to the ground. If you're standing up or if you're walking, just really feel the movements of the body. Wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, just really take this moment to come home. Come home to you. And then let's take another full breath in through the nose. And open the mouth to let it go. Hi. <laughs> Don't you feel just a little more present right now? I know, I know I definitely do. We just wrapped up a big yoga retreat here in Aruba, where I live. It was our very first island yoga retreat. So our first yoga retreat at our own yoga studio. It was a big, big deal. It's something that I've been dreaming of for years. It's honestly just thinking about it now, I can barely even believe that it's manifested because so many years ago, I had this dream of starting a studio in Aruba. We were traveling all over the place and I I wanted to find, set my roots. I wanted to really make space where we live and invite people to come see us instead of us traveling all over the world to teach and to do retreats and trainings and workshops. And it was, I think, three years ago that I decided that I really want to manifest this and make this happen. And then finally, January 1st, we opened our doors after almost a whole year of construction and, and lots and lots and lots of work. And then now in May, we've been open for five months. We had our first island yoga retreat. So people actually traveled here from, let's see, we had people from, so many people from the States. We always have a ton of Americans. And then Canada, Australia, France, Switzerland, Germany, Sweden. It was, it was, yeah, people from all over. And they came here to spend five nights, six days practicing yoga twice a day at Island Yoga with me. And these weeks, they always turn out so different. We've never had two retreat groups that are similar in any way. Every week is always so unexpected. You never know what's to come. And the weeks are always transformational and just magical. And most of all, beyond everything else, they are community building, which is my, my favorite, favorite part. If you've ever been on a yoga retreat, you know, we always have different reasons to why we want to take off and spend a week, you know, practicing yoga somewhere in the world. And for some people, it's very it's a lot about just de-stressing and maybe going on vacation, taking a moment just to, to relax and to remove yourself from the stress of day-to-day -day life. But for many people, especially people that arrive to the retreats that I lead, I find that people arrive with these really deep intentions, wanting to heal something or, or wanting to let something go or wanting to make space for something new in their lives. Like everybody really has a purpose there beyond traveling to a Caribbean island for vacation. And what happens every time is that you, the universe really creates this, these types of groups with us that we can never anticipate beforehand because we never know who's going to sign up. And some groups, you know, 
<laughs> some groups we have a lot of guys join in. Some groups we have a ton of couples come. Um, some groups are really young. Mostly groups are totally mixed. We have people of all ages, from all backgrounds, all cultures, just mixing and meshing together. And for this retreat that we had this week, we had all women here. There was not a single guy. And that's really rare for us. I mean, there's always more women in the groups. There's generally more women practicing yoga than men. But for a group of 50, and we were 49 this time, not having a single guy join in, that was really, really unexpected. And we spent so much time here at the studio preparing for the arrival of this group. And the moment we had our first welcome circle, I knew this was going to be really, really, really different, really, really special. Of course, every group is special, but there was something so, it was, it was divine. Just the feeling of sitting down in my own yoga studio, in our own shala, in this, this dream that I had years ago that I manifested and, and seeing all these people here for this very first retreat, the timing of it and just how it all happened. Every person that came here this week just was here for a reason much bigger than just yoga. And I could feel it right away. And for me, leading a retreat like this, so how it works is, you know, we wake wake up pretty early in the morning. We usually have a smoothie before yoga practice, and then we have 90 minutes to two hours of yoga in the morning. And usually in the morning, I like to teach physical stuff. So we'll do workshops on alignment, and maybe we break down the vinyasa, we talk about backbends or inversions, um, and we flow and we really learn about the body and we dig into poses and transitions and, and into the learning. Um, And then in the day, we either go to the beach or there's free time for people to kind of do what they want, or we have excursions. Like um, we go sailing one day and we go on a hike and we go to the natural pool one day. They get to do sup yoga one day, Um, just different things depending on, on, on what kind of retreat it is. And then in the afternoon, every afternoon, we have afternoon and evening class. And evening classes tend to be really really emotionally intense. So beyond the physical practice, I I like to think of the evening classes more as we, the purpose of practicing physically is to open our hearts and to just get a little bit deeper into the heart because it's all about the emotional space, not so much about the body anymore. And we practice and the evening sessions are usually around two to three hours long. So it's a lot of time spent in this shala, in this room. And after we practice, we do sharings which is the most beautiful thing. It's the most terrifying thing. (laughs) People are always super terrified to dive into this when they don't know what it is, but it's so transformational. So what it is, is I pair people up two and two um, with someone that they don't know. So it's a stranger or someone they haven't connected with really well yet. And they get a topic and then get to talk about openly whatever comes up. So it could be topics, anything from from working through fear or uh, something they feel they need to let go of, or maybe a difficult, challenging thing that happened in the past. Uh, It could be something about parents, just different topics every time. And how the sharing works is that you're looking into the other person's eye and you're sitting really close. So you're really intimately connecting to this other person in 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 an intimate space. And as you share, the other person practices non-reactive listening. And this is really hard to do. Non-reactive listening means that you're listening to another person open up deeply about their life, but you're not reaching out. You're not talking. You're not answering or responding to anything that they say. You're not reaching out to touch them. Um, Even if they say something that you resonate with really deeply, you don't go, oh my God, I feel the same. And you'll notice how, you know, when we get into this, how hard it is to just 
hold space for another person without diving in and interfering with their sharing, because that's, that's how we work. Generally, as human beings, it's hard for us um, to be really vulnerable and to keep this intimate space intimate. We tend to want to step out of the moment right away by talking about the weather or by looking away or anytime you interrupt someone else when they're sharing in this open way. We think it is because we want to say, you know, I feel the same or poor you or I understand or you want to respond to what they're sharing. But actually what you're doing is you're kind of interfering with the space that they're holding for themselves. So what happens during these sharings is since you have this free space to just open up whatever is lying at the surface of the heart, whatever needs to come out. And sometimes it's really deep stuff. Sometimes it's a heavy thing. Sometimes it's pain and grief and sadness and tears just flow right away. Sometimes it's, it's, it's softer things. It's more superficial things. But usually many of us, we carry these stories about our past or we carry this baggage. We carry this, this weight of stuff that we just, we need to release, but we don't know it or we know it, but we don't want to look at it. And then when we're put in this situation or in this place where we're openly invited to share, it just starts pouring out of us. And it's so damn magical. It really, 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 really is. So what happens in this room, in our Luna Shala, in, in the studio here, it's the most sacred thing. And it's so personal and it's so intimate. And it means that within a day, this group of 50 people, it's a huge group, it gets so intimate. You know, it, it gets really intimate. These groups of 50, when we do sharings every day, feel more intimate than standard yoga retreats that I do with 20 people when we just do yoga every day. And what normally happens for me, and this is so interesting because I've been able to really objectively notice this throughout this week. In a normal yoga retreat, I do these, uh, some years we've done 10 of them in a year. Some years it's it's four or five. This year it's it's four retreats and then a teacher training that I'm doing. But basically, at least every other month, I have a retreat somewhere in the world. And we do them all over. We've done them in Sweden and Thailand and Costa Rica and Bonaire, just different places all the time. And normally, so when I'm not leading a retreat at home or in a home studio, like now, the space that we built at Island Yoga, is that I take on so much responsibility for the group. I take on responsibility for absolutely everything and every aspect of each participant's experience in the retreat. That means that whatever is happening, if it's the rooms and the hotels or that, um, you know, someone doesn't like the food or someone has a headache, they need an aspirin or they want to go to the pharmacy. Someone is, you know, fighting with their mom or came to the retreat, like whatever is happening just logistically and around everything, I take on all of that. And I really make it my own personal responsibility to make sure that everything is taken care of around the retreat. And it's a lot to carry. It's, it's, it's a lot. Looking at it now, just what me and Dennis do together, because normally it's just me and Dennis and we do this all alone. 50 people somewhere in the world and it's just us. And this week was so totally different because I had support and I've never asked for support before. And now I look at it and I think, whoa, like how come, how come we never brought an assistant to our other retreats? How come, how come I was always so dead set on doing this alone? Like it's just me and Dennis carrying this, no one else. I don't know why. <laughs> It's hard for me to ask for help. And I, I like the idea of thinking that I'm this super woman, this superhuman person who can do everything on her own. But it's dumb. <laughs> I'm seeing it now because this time at Island Yoga, we have a staff here of, oh God, right now I think we're almost 20 people 
that work here at the studio. So we have a cafe and a restaurant which has a lot of staff. We have a boutique in the front that has staff and then we have the studio and then we have the team and the 108 team and the island yoga team. Parts of that 108 team is here too. Um, 108 is our online yoga studio, um, if you don't, didn't know, but it's a lot of people. And for this retreat, everything around the classes that I teach was 100% totally taken care of. Meaning we had one kick-ass person who was running all the excursions and taking all the signups. We had a kick-ass team who was dealing with all the food and all the, you know, allergies and dietary restrictions and all that stuff. We had someone else dealing with logistics and transportation. And I had an assistant in class, Jess, who I love, who just helped me so much. So when all of this was happening and we arranged it this way so that I could be really present with the baby during the retreat week, because yeah, she's 11 weeks old and um, holding space for 50 people while having a baby. I didn't know how that was going to work. And I realized this week that just now that I had all of this support, I was able to be so much more present while teaching and more, even more importantly, there was nothing about teaching these classes that made me tired at all. Normally teaching for five hours a day, that's a lot of yoga. That's a lot of holding space. It's a lot of work. And at the end of the day, I would be so exhausted, just kind of dive into bed and then feel you know really tired the next day. And I would kind of run, run through it that way. And classes are always beautiful and magical and, and, and the groups are always so amazing. But this week, the difference I felt was in me. And I was able to step out from every class feeling like I really gave it my everything, but I still had energy left for myself. <laughs> Isn't that funny? What I teach for a living is, is, you know, helping others and teaching others self-care, <laughs> how to, through yoga, through meditation, take care of yourself, how through working through your own emotions, you know, healing what needs to be healed. And then somehow, even in my own life, in my own teachings, I have such a hard time applying this to myself. So my biggest realization of the week is just surrounding yourself with support and building a team of people that can help you when you need it. It changes everything. It really changes everything. And asking for help, why haven't I spent my whole life just looking for people to help me when I need it? Why have I spent my whole life deciding that everything, I have to do everything by myself? That's, it's, it's crazy. I'm not accomplishing anything by just doing everything on my own. So I feel really proud <laughs> that I've been able to evolve from the space, from this controlling place where I had to do everything by myself to the space where I can just honestly ask for help and, and start building a team around me. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. How well did you sleep last night? As a new mom with a baby girl, sleep has never been more elusive than it is right now. That's why I'm so grateful my bed is lined with the softest bedding ever from Parachute. Snuggling with my family in the comfiest sheet I've ever owned makes us all blissfully cozy. Even the quantity of hours in bed is minimal, the quality has never been better. I try to create positive impact with everything I do and also with what I buy. Parachute sheets are designed in Venice Beach and responsibly manufactured in Europe by fairly paid employees. The fabrics are 100% natural, made without any harmful chemicals or synthetic softeners. Parachute also partners with the United Nations Foundation called Nothing But Nets, donating thousands of life-changing bed nets to communities in critical need. Go check it out. Visit parachutehome.com slash yogagirl for free shipping and returns. Are you worried about what may happen to your returns? No need. All returns are donated straight to Habitat for Humanity. Are you in love or what? 
Sleep is so important. Transform your bedroom into a peaceful haven with Parachute and help others around the world sleep deeply as well. Visit parachutehome.com slash yoga girl for free shipping and returns. You have a 60 night trial to fall in love where you can send it back. No questions asked. Check it out. Parachutehome.com slash yoga girl today. Mothers deserve the absolute best. So this Mother's Day, spoil the moms in your life with little luxuries from Osea. Osea's skin and body care is the perfect way to remind all the moms, mother figures, caregivers, grandmothers, and mother-in-laws in your life to make time for themselves. If you have been looking for the perfect gift, I recommend Osea's Andaria Algae Body Oil. I've been using it for years, and it seems like every single time I apply it, I get compliments on my skin. This body oil is rich, but it's never greasy, and it's clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity. Your skin will feel more sculpted and toned, and you'll be left feeling silky, soft, and glowing. Another favorite of mine is the Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Ever since I've been using collagen, I have noticed a difference in my skin. In fact, it's never been better. Using Osea's body oil and lotion together is a mega moisture duo, giving you a full body glow. Osea's products are infused with their signature Andaria seaweed, but it's also clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Really just a perfect gift for yourself, the moms in your life, and even the planet. Spoil the moms in your life with clean, vegan skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at oseamalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to oseamalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. And from that realization, I want to I wanna ask you, you know, in your own life, do you have areas of your life where you might need some support but you're not asking for help? Or do you have areas of your life where you feel unsupported and you don't know what to do about it? And I feel like we all have that. We all have moments or, or different areas where we feel like we could need a little extra something. But most of the times we don't ask for it or we feel like we don't have someone to ask. Of course, my situation is different. You know, we have this business and these people are employed and, you know, it's so much more than that though. I mean, these people, they're the team we have, everybody feels like family now, but we wouldn't have this team if I didn't at one point say, okay, I need help to make this work with the baby. I'm going to need help. I can't do it on my own anymore. And the moment I did, the moment I let go, this whole other level of magic is being manifested right now. Like I know the retreats this year, I just blows my mind how amazing they all are going to be. And I get to rest just knowing that, hey, I, I could do a retreat every month. Energy-wise, I could do one every month and I would be fine because it's not draining me at all. So that's been one of my, one of my weekly, weekly epiphanies, this idea of energy. And also, here's where the big picture comes in. And here is where the strop waffles <laughs> comes in, is I've realized that whenever I take on too much, I gravitate towards sugar all the time. Sugar, sugar is my, yeah, sugar is my weak link. Everybody has their, um, let's see their go-to, let's call it the go-to. So whenever we feel overwhelmed or when we feel emotional or when we feel stressed or tired, what is your go-to? Mine is sugar. For some people it's alcohol or wine. For some people it's a cigarette. Um, other people, maybe it's gossip or maybe it's, you know, having to kind of step out of your, um, your space and try to escape through TV or, you know, just getting into this kind of mindless space where you don't have to think. Um, for many people, it's food. 
right? Food. For some people, it's just any kind of food, comfort food, whatever, anything, just filling your body with something. And for me, my go-to when I get stressed or overwhelmed, it's definitely sugar. And the reason I came to that conclusion and why I'm sitting here today drinking chamomile tea, not eating my waffles that I love so much, it has absolutely nothing to do with weight or with the idea of eating healthy or um, calories. Like I don't give a shit about any of that stuff. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I care a lot about being healthy. I care a lot about taking care of myself. I abandoned the idea of guilt related to food a long fucking time ago. You know, people ask me sometimes, and I, I hate this question whenever I, if I do interviews for magazines or, or, you know, just interviews or press, people tend to ask me, what's your, <laughs> what's your guilty pleasure? There is no pleasure if there's guilt involved. Like the pleasure should not be guilty. If, if, if you feel guilty during your pleasure, like it's not pleasure anymore. I don't have a guilty pleasure because I refuse to give guilt space in my life. I refuse. So that's something that I work through when it comes to food. Um, and it took me a while, especially through my teens. I, I had this idea that I was, uh, that I wasn't skinny enough, that I had to change a lot. And I, and I experimented with, with dieting when I was really young, like sad young, 14, 15. I would every day write down whatever I weighed. And uh, if I'd gained weight from the past day, even if I gained 100 grams, I had this scale that I would step on like five times a day. And I would write it in my journal. And then I would write down every single thing I ate. And I found this journal not super long ago. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was the saddest thing that I have ever, ever read. It was just, it was the saddest thing. So I would drink green tea in the morning because I read in some stupid women's magazine that green tea helps you burn fat. I was 15, mind you, 15 years old. Um, and then I would eat like half a grapefruit because grapefruit was good to lose weight. And then I would eat some rice or something weird for lunch. Um, and then like I, just everything I ate, I would just write it down. And then always at the end of the day, after whatever I had for dinner, which was, you know, something very little, um, then came the sugar and then came the guilt because I have a sweet tooth. I've had a sweet tooth my entire life. Sugar is my go-to and it has been since I was little. I mean, I can trace it back after I eat dinner. I want something sweet always have. And I mean, I want a little ice cream or I want some chocolate or I want like whatever. And whatever I caved into during my teenage years, because I decided I had to lose weight. I couldn't eat sugar or anything unhealthy or any, you know, I couldn't eat enough food apparently because I had to write everything down. And then I, I would say like one cookie and then it would say one piece of candy. And then I would say one little thing of chocolate. And it was like, I would add on because <laughs> guiltily I would just crave sugar so much after dinner. And then I would write it down and I would feel horrible about it. And honestly, I don't know if I've repressed this, but I didn't remember this time. I didn't remember doing this. I would look back at myself thinking I was pretty healthy as a teenager. Like I never had an eating disorder. I wasn't anorexic or bulimic. And I had friends, a lot of friends who were when I was, when I was a teenager. And I always felt like I was pretty cool about my body. I was, you know, stood up for myself. And if someone was talking about, there was this trend, oh, horrible, horrible, but um, I can't remember what year or what, what grade I was in where, where people just were throwing up a little bit. <laughs> like the girls in my class were, would, would throw up after eating. And, and that was something that, that they would talk about. It was just something that, that some of these girls did. And I would be the one who was like, I can't believe you do that. That's so bad for you. You should love yourself for who you are. But apparently I didn't love myself for who I was still. So what's the, what's the difference really? 
Um, if the mind tells you that you're not good enough, sometimes it manifests in disease. Um, sometimes it manifests in this compulsive need to write every single calorie down every day. Neither is, is healthy and neither I think is, is good. But so I had that and I would write about, you know, the, the sugar that I ate at the end of the day. And then somehow after that, I found yoga and yoga really, really helped me. I think the moment I, I, I grew up and I grew out of this obsession with, with what I weighed. And after I found yoga, I became really comfortable with my own body. I started finding this appreciation for who I was. And, um, I felt really empowered in my body and meditation helped me so much. So I, I, I feel really lucky and really blessed to say that I grew away. If you can say that grew away. Um, I didn't have that obsession with my, with what I ate anymore. And that's a, a really, really good thing. But still what stick, what stuck with me was the sugar. And it always, always, always had and since I refuse to associate guilt with pleasure, sugar is my pleasure. I refuse to feel guilty about what I eat. And I have a super healthy diet. I mean, really sugar and everything, but I have a, I have a really healthy diet. I, I mean, I'm a vegetarian. I drink a ton of green juice and green smoothies. I eat a lot of salads. Um, I don't eat a lot of processed foods. I love whole foods. Generally, just overall, my diet is solid and it's good. I think, you know, fruits and veggies, that's my, that's my go-to. But sugar is also my thing. And I know sugar is so, so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. Oh my God. I can't even. <laughs> Whenever I come across an article about how bad sugar is for you, I avoid it because I still, since I was little, I have this, you know, little need for something sweet at the end of the day, especially after dinner. I just need it. And I think everything in moderation is totally fine. As long as I'm not stuffing my face with insane amounts of, you know, processed sugar, it's okay. Having dessert after dinner is okay. I, I like to joke and say dessert is the whole reason that I have dinner. Like, why would I have dinner if I couldn't have dessert? <laughs> and all this is true. And all this has been totally fine up until not so long ago. Something happened to me when I started breastfeeding. <laughs> I Okay, a lot of stuff happened to me when I started breastfeeding, but... In relation to sugar, holy fucking shit. And I've been asking my friends about this, and I think I'm not the only one. A couple of my friends have had this same experience or are in the midst of the same experience when they're breastfeeding right now. But I had the baby. The first thing that happened was that someone told me that, you know, you can't eat any chocolate anymore because if you eat chocolate, your baby gets gassy and the baby's going to cry and it's going to be the worst thing ever. So you can't eat chocolate. And I had like a panic attack. I was like, what? I can't eat chocolate? What? what the hell is, is what's going to happen to my life? Like what? No. <laughs> and I had to really like, I went to the grocery store scanning the food aisles for like f something sweet that I would like that wasn't sugar because I love chocolate. I normally eat chocolate every day at the end of the day, my after dinner, like it's like some form of chocolate, something. And what I found were these waffles, these stupid Dutch strop waffles. And <laughs> they're so fucking delicious. Okay. I'm like, I'm getting teary-eyed just thinking about them right now. I started eating like a little waffle after dinner. Like that was what I had instead of chocolate. And I started realizing like, wow, there's all these other things that are sweet that aren't chocolate that I can really enjoy. Because normally it's just chocolate has always just that, that was, that was kind of all I needed. And it wasn't excessive or anything. It was just like something sweet after dinner. You know, I don't know what the fuck is excessive anyway probably the amount of chocolate that I eat is excessive for some people. And it's probably nothing for others. Like there's no normal, you know, it's just, but for me, it was, it never felt excessive. It felt good. 
I felt really good, felt really good with my diet. But somehow, while breastfeeding, my need for eating something sweet has totally taken over. I can't explain it. I've never in my life had this, this feeling like I need the sugar. Like if I don't have the sugar, like something's going to happen. <laughs> and it's been creeping up and we're laughing about it a lot. I spoke about it in the last podcast and it's not something that I've ever wanted to change because here's the thing. Okay. If you're looking to quit something in your life, but you're doing it because you have an idea that you're not good enough, that's never going to fly. And this is why the idea of dieting doesn't work. The idea of dieting is stupid. Okay. If you are so overweight and so unhealthy that if you don't lose weight, you're going to get sick or you're going to die. Yes. Okay. You might need to think about dieting or changing something in your diet. Um, no, let me rephrase. You might think about, um, making some life changes. Let's call it that the idea of dieting, you know, forcing your body or forcing yourself into this rigid schedule of all the things you cannot eat in a day. I think that's fucked up. <laughs> okay. I'm getting really harsh right now, but it's really, really, really not good if it comes from the idea that you are not good enough the way you are. And I think 99% of everyone that's um, on a diet or, you know, obsessing over food, it comes from this idea that we're not good enough the way we are. So yes, sometimes in very rare, rare cases, yes, there is a big reason to why you need to change something in your diet, like a like a physical reason. If you're going to get sick, of course, that's one thing. But I find that for most of us, really, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say like 90%, 99%, something big, are thinking about dieting or obsessing over food because of the idea that we're not good enough the way we are. And that is not okay. In my book, that is not a good way to live. If you need to change something in your diet to get healthier or because you want to take care of yourself or because you want to feel stronger, you want to live a long life, you want to feel healthy and feel good. That is a totally different approach. Can you feel the difference just listening to those words, you know, wanting to change your diet or change something in your life or improve your diet because you want to feel good, right? That's a really good fucking reason <laughs> to change something in your diet compared to you want to change something in your diet or go on a diet or obsess over food because you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, oh, I could really use to lose five pounds. Do you feel the difference? If you look at yourself in the mirror or it's, you know, you think like, oh, beach season is coming up. I'm going to be in a bathing suit. I have to look different than I do right now. <laughs> Meaning you're looking at yourself or you're looking at your reflection of yourself saying that I'm not good the way I am right now. Something has to change. And for so many people, that's a permanent thing. Have you ever, do you have, do you have that? So I'm thinking about myself right now. So I was as young as 14 or 15 when I cultivated the idea that I'm not good enough the way I am. I was looking at all these pictures in magazines and I guess, you know, commercials on TV and like underwear models or whatever. And they were all so skinny and, and beautiful. And I felt like I wasn't, even though I was super skinny when I was that age. I, I mean, you know, the reflection that I saw in the mirror didn't even didn't match up with, with what I really looked like. If I look at pictures of myself then, like, whoa, how could I ever think that I was anything but super skinny? But that's how the mind works, right? It doesn't always tell the truth. So already then I, I got this idea that I wasn't good enough and I had to change, which I tried to do by writing down everything I ate and keeping a food diary. And I started obsessing over food. And then it's kind of, you know, stuck with me in, in certain ways. And it's been that voice inside of my head that says, 
you need to change something. Sometimes it's really loud. Sometimes it's really quiet. The older I get, the quieter that voice becomes. The older I get, the less fucks I give about <laughs> that voice. The more meditation I practice, the softer that voice becomes, the quieter that voice becomes. So I found ways in my own life to really manage that and deciding to ditch guilt and to decide I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat, staying healthy, but eat whatever I want to eat without guilt. That's a big one for me, which means like I eat dessert after dinner and I drink wine and I enjoy life and I don't obsess over food. Food doesn't have to take up so much space in my life. It's just food. Okay. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to sustain our bodies, but, but that's it. Don't let it run your life. But for many people, that's the hardest thing, right? It's the hardest thing. And it's questions I get all the time. Like, okay, I really want to lose weight. Can yoga help me lose weight? Can this help me lose weight? You drink green juice all the time. You share it in social media. Is that good to lose weight? Like, why do you want to lose weight? What's, what's the purpose? What's the reason, right? I, I really want to invite you to look into that. And if there's a health reason, then yes, of course, go for it. But can you try to change the approach from I'm not good enough the way I am to I want to feel better? Those are two completely different energies, completely different energies. And the thing is, and here is the key, making a change in your life, if it comes from a positive place or a place of self-love is 1 million times easier than if it comes from a place of negativity or judgment toward yourself. So looking at yourself in the mirror saying, damn, I hate this body. I have to lose weight. Oh, like, of course you want to eat shitty stuff. Of course you want to drink more alcohol. Of course you want to bring all of these kind of you know unhealthy things into your body because you're looking for comfort because you're not loving yourself in that moment. You're not, you're telling yourself that, hey, I suck. And then let's try to keep this super strict regimen of exercise and eating foods that, you know, are this and this in that way so that I can look better, so that I can look different, so that maybe then I'll start loving myself. Maybe then um, I'll be happy. The thing is that moment, it's not going to arrive if you start off from this dark negative space. It's not. Even if you do lose that weight, you're going to be so controlling and you're going to have to keep this up and you're going to start obsessing so much about food and what your body looks like that your heart is just not going to be open in that space. You're forgetting about how you feel, right? You're forgetting about the self-love that's so important and it runs our whole lives. It affects everything we do. And then all we think about is the idea of keeping the body this way and it becomes this obsession and we yeah, we just don't have energy for what's really, really, really important. And for me, this retreat week specifically, what's come up for me is since I started breastfeeding, I'm eating so much sugar. And now that I was able to actually have space to not, to not control everything all the time. And man, I had all the energy left to just focus on my baby. I had classes and then baby and then classes and then baby. And what I could track during the week is the sugar intake that I had, okay? Because we weren't home. We were basically living at the studio. And at home, I have like my pantry and my fridge and I have all my foods and all that stuff. And I would notice that whenever I had a stressful moment, like a really, and I had a couple in the week. One was um, the only kind of bad evening that we had with the baby was Dennis wasn't here for some reason. And she started crying mid-class. She was with my mom and she started crying the way, like she just wouldn't stop. And the only she would only stop if I held her, basically. She just decided no one else is good enough. I need my mom. And you know, babies are that way sometimes. But I had a crying baby mid-class. So I had to step out of class several times. It was a yin class, thank God. So I could put the students in a pose to hold for several minutes and then go out. But I was like exiting the room, 
trying to feed the baby. I started crying. It was so intense. You know, it was just, oh, she was just wasn't happy. And I, I don't want to compromise her for anything. And after that, I sat down in my nursing chair and I ate almost an entire packet of stroke waffles. <laughs> like almost immediately. The amount of sugar that I started taking in when I was stressed just skyrocketed. And if you've ever had one of these waffles, one is a lot. Like one normally is enough to be like, okay, I almost had too much. They're so sweet. They're so like, they're heavy. It's, it's a lot of sugar. I ate almost an entire pack, like without blinking. Okay. So during this week, I started noticing this sugar habit, this just, you know, addiction to sugar that I've developed. And I started realizing that, yes, I do actually believe that this has gone from just having a sweet tooth, just you know, enjoying sugar after dinner or whatever, like a dessert to a craving that I am unable to contain. <laughs> and I was talking about this with my mom and with Dennis throughout the week, like, okay, this sugar intake, whoa, it's starting to get a little crazy. And I could see how it's really related to my feeling of my emotions and to, and to stress. And then I had my big epiphany. So the retreat ended, everything was amazing and beautiful. And just, it was, it was so wonderful. And yesterday, <laughs> The retreat ended and we got to take a break, which was beautiful. And at the end of the day, I'm sitting in the chair, my rocking chair, where I nurse the baby and she's sleeping and I'm rocking her back and forth. And in the evening, she always falls asleep with me while I'm nursing in this chair. And then I bring her upstairs and we go to sleep for the night. So usually if we're watching a movie or we're doing something, when she falls asleep, I let her stay in my arms. My mom fell asleep on the couch and she had this, she had this bag of caramels I don't know how to pronounce them. They're like the, the Werther's, Werther's, whatever they're called, like the caramel, like butter caramel, something, something in front of her. And she had these empty packets of them there. And I get this craving to have one, but they're so far away. Okay. I can't reach the caramels. And I, we were watching Bloodline. Um, if you've watched Bloodline, like last episode of the final season, I, it's, too crazy. I'm watching the last episode of this season. So it's really like giving you all the answers and all the stuff. I completely lost track of what's happening on Netflix on TV in front of me because I'm so debating. Should I let the baby wake up so that I can grab the caramels? Because I know if I stand up, she's going to wake up and then I have to kind of start the thing back over again. It's going to take a long time for her to fall back asleep. And I'm actually debating waking my sleeping baby before going to bed for the night, which is like, a really nice thing to have a baby sleep for the night just so I could reach the candy that was on the other side of the table. And as I'm almost standing up, like I'm gathering her, holding her clothes, almost standing up to go get the candy. And then it hits me like, Jesus fucking Christ, are you serious right now? Like, is this, is this real? Okay. I'm going to wake my baby up because I need more sugar. And it just hit me yesterday. Like, okay, this is, this has gone out of hand. <laughs> This has gone out of hand uh, completely. It's it's not just a craving anymore. This is an addiction. I have to stop. Okay. It's it's affecting my life. It's starting to affect my life in a negative way. It's not cool. And aside from all the, you know, the negative side effects of eating too much sugar, um, more so than anything, it's just this this compulsion, right? That I need it. I, I really don't want to live that way. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. What we put onto our bodies is just as important as what we put into them. That's why I'm so excited to introduce you to a line of amazing beauty products called Kopari. 
Kopari Beauty products moisturize skin and hair without any sulfates, silicones, GMOs, or parabens. Instead, Kopari's products are made from 100% organic coconut oil. Kopari offers skin and hair care for everyone. There's a coconut sheer oil, which I love, the perfect light facial moisturizer, or a coconut balm that dries super dry skin. I adore the coconut crush scrub, which just revitalizes your whole body. And there's also a coconut body glow for a beautiful all over shimmer. Now that my days are so devoted to my baby girl, it's important to make conscious decisions and to really make time for self-care. Even on some days, you know, just applying lotion before bed is all I can do. I use Kopari's Coconut Melt, which is the original decadent coconut oil product to boost the vital moments as often as I can. My skin is now extra soft and has this light coconut scent that I adore. It's just something both me and my little girl are so grateful for. Kopari's coconut oil is the highest quality. The aroma is light, texture is totally smooth, and you can apply it head to toe knowing you're giving your body safe and pure nourishment. Say aloha to the best skin and hair of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash yoga to get 20% off of your order. That's kopari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com slash yoga for 20% off. So I've decided... Okay, this is hard to say because I know the moment I verbalize it, I have to stick with it. Here we go. I am quitting sugar. Mm. Ugh, I can't believe I had to just say that. Yes, I'm quitting sugar. I'm quitting sugar. I am quitting sugar. And I decided to share it in this podcast and to talk about it in this podcast. And I'm going to tell the world, I'm going to write about it on Instagram to 2 million people because once it's out there, it's way harder to not stick with it. Okay. I want to show you guys that I can do this. So it's out there. And I want to make it super, super, super clear. I'm not quitting sugar because there's a single part of me that wants to lose weight. No, I don't give a fuck about what I weigh. I'm not quitting sugar because I want my body to look different. No, I'm really happy with my body the way it is. I'm quitting sugar because sugar has taken over. Okay. I no longer control sugar. Sugar controls me. And that's not, not, not good. And it also means that whenever I reach for sugar, whenever I'm in a difficult situation or in something, you know, an emotional place, it means that I let sugar take over. Sugar becomes an escape versus really feeling that feeling. And an addiction, no matter what shape or form it takes, is never good. Anytime we step away from ourselves, or we, we leave our hearts a little bit to escape the moment that we're in. Um, it means that, that those emotions, they're going to start piling up. They're going to start getting bigger and we we begin collecting tension we begin collecting stress or sadness or whatever it is whatever we're eating our way through or drinking our way through or whatever your go-to is um, know that when you're done eating that when you're done drinking that or whatever it is that you do instead of feeling feelings stay right they don't they don't go anywhere unless you let them out and I know for me, <laughs> I don't know what it is about breastfeeding though I mean breastfeeding makes you so hungry I'm eating I'm eating so much, just general, regular food. Like I had two things for lunch today. I had a stir fry and I had a, a big salad. Like I had two things for lunch. Uh, I'm just starving all the time. I know breastfeeding takes a lot out of you, so you need to eat a lot more. But this sugar, God, like what is it? What is it? And it can also be that, you know, a part of me is, is kind of like, oh, excess of any kind right now because I'm breastfeeding and you know, I'm carrying the baby, like any type of excess, like I'm just rolling with it. I'm doing everything in excess, um, which is normally not really my style. 
not really what I want to, not really how I want to live. I really believe in balance and I've thrown balance out the window when it comes to sugar these days. And this is my commitment to do my best. <laughs> Can you tell how I'm even like, I'm straying away from saying I hereby announce that I will never eat sugar again. Like I'm not saying that I'm saying I'm going to do my very best, which leaves a tiny window <laughs> of failure available there, but it's okay. Okay. I'm not going to be hard on myself. Uh, I'm not going to make this into an obsession or make this into a, a, a negative space. The feeling I have right now is I'm going to feel a lot better if I reduce the sugar intake in my life. So to do that, I'm going cold Turkey, um, completely cold Turkey. And Ooh, this is important. When I talk about sugar right now, I'm talking about processed added sugars. So I'm still going to eat fruits. I'm still going to drink smoothies. Like I'm still, you know, I'm going to be normal eating foods that grow from the earth. Okay. What I'm talking about, I'm quitting all processed and added sugars. So, um, yeah, strop waffles. Goodbye. Okay. Right now it's 5, 17 PM. I have had zero strop waffles today. I'm very, very proud. <laughs> um, strop waffles. Bye-bye. I feel so sad, but, um, I, I kind of know if I, you know, years from now, if I ever see a strop waffle again, I will remember my first months of feeding the baby because that's just my whole life smells like strop waffles right now. Um, yeah, none of that, um, candy, um, chocolates, um, of course like soda, I don't drink soda generally, but, um, but I have actually a little bit lately. Hmm. See, and it starts taking over. Like you, Hmm. You make space for this little addiction in your life. And then all of a sudden it takes over everything. Like I would normally never drink sodas. And now I kind of have been, Oh God. Okay. So what I want to do, okay. With this podcast, what I want to do is I want to see if there's anybody out there who's with me right now. Okay. Specifically for sugar. Is there anybody out there, you listening right now, do you have a sugar problem? Notice I say sugar problem, not a body problem. You don't have a body problem. There's nothing wrong with your body. Your body is fucking beautiful and perfect exactly the way it is in this moment. No matter what the numbers on the scale tells you, no matter what you see in the reflection in, your, in the mirror, like the way your body is right now is perfect. Don't think you need to change what your body looks like. And don't think you need to add or remove anything into your diet or into your life. To, to make your body better. Okay. What we have to do is get rid of the idea that our bodies aren't good and just start embracing them. Like, hell yes, your body's beautiful as is. Can you just imagine how much freer you would be if you weren't obsessing about your body all the time? Like how much space you would have left for really awesome things, for love, for building a life that you really want, for manifesting your dreams, for doing cool stuff in your career, like whatever, like what is what you could be doing if you weren't wasting this time obsessing over your body. There's nothing to obsess over and nothing is more important than, than how you feel and obsessing over not being good enough is not making us feel any better. So if you can drop it. Okay. But if you have an addiction or if you have a, a habit that you would like to get rid of for a positive reason, meaning that, you know, you would feel better if you stopped it. Okay. That's how, you know, if you would feel better, if you stopped it, then yes, come with me on this path, step in to land of no sugar, or if it's land of no alcohol, or if it's land of no junk food or fast foods or, um, cigarettes, or let me think like anything else that you have, whatever is going on, any type of anything in your life that's taking over you or that you feel like I would feel better if I quit this join me. 
Okay, please, please join me. And I'm asking you because I need help. I need your support. I need community here. Like quitting sugar for me is a really big deal. Um, also because I know there's a lot of emotions tied into this and it's something that's, you know, with me from since my childhood. And also because I'm breastfeeding and I'm taking care of a, an 11 week old and like, oh, I deserve to drown in stroopwafels every day. Like give me all the sugar. Like why can I not have the sugar? That's there's this little kid in me like stomping her feet right now saying, oh, give me, give me, give me. But I can really, really feel it, how it's taking over and I'm going to feel better just being free from having to eat it. You know what I mean? So what I'm going for here is not, you know, quitting sugar for the rest of my life. I'm not gonna, that's, that's not the point, but I want to take 30 days. I want to take 30 days, um, without sugar as a reset. Okay. Just to completely rid myself of it. Have you, have you ever read that? It takes like 21 days to change a habit or to bring in, cultivate a new one. Um, I just felt like a month felt like a good time to, to reset, Um, and then hopefully <laughs> I'm free of this insane addiction that makes me want to wake my baby up to eat more candy. Okay. That's, that's my end game. Um, so let's see if we can do this maybe together. I'm really hoping that as many people as possible are going to join me on this. So I've even decided to create an Instagram hashtag. I'm really making a thing out of this and I'm, I'm trying to make a big thing out of this. I'm hoping people feel the same. There's other people that are going to want to quit some kind of bad habit with me, um, specifically so that I get really committed to keep this up. So the hashtag for this, um, whatever you want to call it, let's call it, it's going to be a letting go, right? So it's a letting go of something that you don't need or letting go of something that's taken you over. So hashtag 30 days to let go. 3-0, hashtag 30 days to let go. What I'm hoping is at the end of these 30 days, 30 days of not doing this bad habit, 30 days of change, is that at the end of the 30 days, we will have space to choose for ourselves, meaning that I can still have my dessert after dinner like I want to, um, but I'm not going to have this uh, addiction. I'm not going to have sugar run my life anymore. So 30 days to let go. What do you want to let go of? find it. Okay. Take a moment to really, really, really find it. And let's go on this journey together. So for in every podcast for the next four weeks, I'll be touching a little bit on this, just letting you guys know how I'm doing and um, any, any updates that I may have. Um, but also I'll be using Instagram to share the journey and I hope you guys will as well. So today, what I want to invite you to do right now, the moment that this podcast is over, take a moment to sit in meditation. Okay. Really take a moment to sit in meditation. Similarly, the way we did at the beginning of this podcast, it can be super brief. You know, it can be just finding a moment of silence to yourself, just silence, turn your phone off, find a quiet place and meditate on the idea of letting a bad habit go. Maybe you know right away, okay, I know my thing, right? Whatever your thing is. Um, maybe you know it right away. Maybe you need a little moment of silence to find it. Um, but find the purpose of that release. That's really, really important because it is crucial that your purpose of wanting to let this go needs to come from a loving place. It needs to come from a place of, of heart, a place of genuine intention, Okay. It shouldn't, I don't want it to be about, um, to be about losing weight or about you not being good enough the way you are. No, that's not where you're quitting this habit. You're quitting this habit because you want to feel better, 
right? You're quitting this habit because quitting the habit is showing yourself more self-love. For me right now, choosing not to indulge or overindulge or, you know, dive into a mountain of sugar, not doing that is giving myself space to feel more. It's giving myself um, yeah, a healthier body. It's going to give myself probably less mood swings. I've been really moody lately, <laughs> kind of sort of thinking that sugar has, <laughs> has a lot to do with it. Um, but quitting sugar is giving myself more of love. So find the purpose of why you're letting this go. Make sure it comes from a loving space. Super, super, super important. And then let's, let's do this together. 30 days to let go. I am so excited to embark on this new journey. Um, and just to, uh, to let you guys know today I had breakfast. I had pancakes for breakfast. My mom made pancakes. She makes super delicious oat pancakes with banana. Um, I did not have any maple syrup on my pancakes. I have not had any sugar today so far. Um, and, uh, I feel really good. So day one, I'm good. All right. Let's see. Let's see how you feel. And the time to start is right now. So right as you end this podcast, let's do it. Let's do it right now. Cold turkey. As soon as you figure out what you're letting go is, drop into it. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find all of them on rachelbraithen.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you normally get your podcasts. Don't forget to leave a review while you're there. A huge thank you to the folks at Digital Media for their production work. And of course, thank you to my sponsors, Parachute and Kupari. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.